scriptures will get you one. Now, we've been doing a series, Repairing the Family, Family Ties, number three. I believe what I'm going to talk about today will, will help every one of us in here. Regardless of where you are in life, as far as being married or single, you know, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you are married? Vast majority. How many of you are single? Vast majority. How many of you are single, desired to be married? Some of you. How many of you young ones, way down the line, many years from now, you like to be married? Many of you. How many of you who are married wish you weren't married? No, we better not say that. <laughs> we better not put that in. No, I I'm, believe I'm, today the scriptures are going to enlighten you. They're going to help you. Once again, let the Word of God teach you today. Open with me the book of Genesis chapter number 1. Genesis chapter number 1. Now, it's interesting always how God begins to move in, in my heart on things to speak about. And so, you know, as, as I'm around society, all the different ages, you hear the different cries, the different complaints. And, and I think a lot of it happens when we quit honoring what God says to honor. Regardless, if we don't honor authority, if we don't honor our parents, we don't honor our spouses, some things happen. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Now you've got to understand, when this was written right here, it was before the fall of Adam and Eve. And so man's order or his intentions of our original environment is, is far different than what happened after the fall of Adam and Eve. Understand that when Adam and Eve came into this realm called earth, there had never been any sin. So everything was good. Now, one thing I believe as human beings, men, you need to understand, don't get caught up or be very cautious, I should say, of ever referring to things as, well, that's an act of God or that's the will of God. Because there's things that are happening on this earth right now that aren't the will of God. They're not the act of God. But some things happened with the fall of, of mankind. And so when God created things, he said it was good. And here he said it was very good. Now, if you go through Genesis chapter 1, that was the theme. And God created this, and it was good. And God created this, and it was good. Actually, there was seven different references that in Genesis 1. Now, what they represent, the emphasis of the quality of life that God wanted us to have. But I want you to look with me in Genesis 2, verse number 18. And it said, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. It's not good. Now, this was the only reference of anything that God created that wasn't good. What did he say here? It's not good that man should live alone. I will make him a helper, a companion comparable to him. And so the problem, guys, wasn't man. Man wasn't created man, uh, bad. But what happened is God realized man was complete, uh, complete empty. Man was created incomplete. He was not complete. And so God began to look and said, man, i got to do something about that. And so you study the scriptures. God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He took the rib from Adam, and God created the woman. Now, when God created the woman, he said himself, it's good. And that's when Adam said, truly, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Now, pick up with me in verse 24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father 
and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So when God created the, the marriage covenant here, it was for companionship. It was forced to be complete to value and to appreciate each other. Now, if you'll note there, it says when a man leaves his mother, he'll be joined. The message says he'll be embraced to his wife. When you see the makeup in the Bible of mankind, and this is found in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says that man is spirit, soul, and body. When God created the marriage covenant, he wanted there to be spiritual intimacy, physical intimacy, and even emotional intimacy. That was God's desire for each one of us. Now, in the marriage covenant, when any one of those three is lacking, our marriage begins to, to suffer. Now, I know this as a man. Many times when we hear the word intimacy, that's a scary word for men. We don't like that word. We don't understand that word. Guys, that doesn't mean your favorite color is now going to become pastel, lavender. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean that when you go to Redbox to, uh, to, to get a movie, you're going to start buying chick flicks. It's not what it means. It doesn't mean that at all. It does not mean that every time you go to Walmart and get around the Hallmark card, you start crying. It's not what it means. Listen to the definition of intimacy. It means this. A closeness, confidential, friendship, and familiarity. Now that's what intimacy is. And that was God's design in the marriage covenant to be. Actually an inclination for all this would begin to happen with us. In us. Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians 5. And like I said I believe this will pertain to every one of us in this room. Now. You who come to church here very often understand a lot of times I don't. I don't title my sermons. I let you do that. I think whatever you want. A lot of times when there's a title on these CDs that you buy, those guys have done it. But this is going to be shocking to you. Today I entitled this. And the entitlement is, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And all the ladies said, oh, praise the Lord. I'm glad we came to church today. Well, that's good this week. We'll be on the husbands a little more next week. Ephesians 5. Begin with me in verse 25. Husbands, 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 love your wives. Now, I think we can stop right there real quick and say, more so than husbands, I believe he's really entitling this men. Young boys, old boys, every one of us, because here's the bottom line. As a human being on this earth, as a man, you really have two options. You're going to either get married or you're going to have to biblically live in a thing called celibacy. It pertains to every one of us, guys. And so those are your two options if you really want to live biblically. Now, some of you would say, well, that's not what Hollywood... Re you know what, guys? That's where we get messed up. When we start listening to the things of the world instead of just read what the Bible says. Now, when we'll honor what the Word of God says, there's always a blessing. So he tells us here, husbands... Love your wives. How am I to love my wife? As Christ, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, if you'll notice there, the example, husbands, that we're given to follow was Jesus. Pretty hard act to follow, huh? 
If you'll note there, it says, just as Jesus loved the church. So what is the action of love? It says that he gave himself for us. And so the the thing as husbands, men, you must understand, is we are to give love. We're going to have to, the recipe for happiness and fulfillment in our life is this right here. That when I begin to give love, now I think as a husband, your job description is found in one word. You know what that one word is? Sacrifice. What did Jesus do, guys? He sacrificed his life. He gave his life. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to prefer, prefer our wives over ourselves. Now, love, guys, isn't based on how big of a carrot of a ring you buy your wife. Love isn't about what type of car or what type of home she lives in. But love is this. It's based on how well I lay down my life, just as Jesus did. Now, for most of us, and I can say about my own life, that means, guys, I'm going to have to take a demotion and give her a promotion. Uh-oh. Keep reading here, verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, husbands, we ought to. You don't have to, but you ought to love your own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, to understand this a little bit better, listen to this in the message translation. And this may come to light to your, come alive a little bit more. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. That's interesting right here that he says something. He says, in everything he does and everything he says. As I read that, I can look and I can say to you today, I flunked in that. Many times in my life, I flunked right here in what Jesus told me to do. Especially in my early uh, age in marriage. I flunked all the time. If you'll note in there in verse 26, it tells us how Jesus washes us. Look look back in verse 26. It says, "And, and, and he washes us of water by the word. By the word. That's how Jesus washes me and you. The Amplified says it this way, with the word. The message says that his words evoke beauty. And so when I think about this, many of the ways we love our wives, not only in the things we do, but in the things we say. Now go with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 18. I want to talk about this just for a little bit here this morning. Proverbs 18, and I'm going to come back to Ephesians 5 later on. Proverbs 18. How many of you know that your, your mouth, the words you speak, are like a loaded gun? They can build up or they can tear down. And you think about a loaded gun, there's a positive side to it and a negative side. The positive side is a loaded gun can protect. 
The negative side is a loaded gun can kill. Now, this is exactly what many of you have done, or even myself with my own words. I found out with my own words, guys, that I, I can embarrass with my own words. I can insult with my own words. Actually, there's been times in my life, even in my marriage, I've had a black belt in words. I could give my wife a black eye without ever touching her. And so let's read the scripture here just a little bit. Verse number 20, Proverbs 18, verse 20. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. So guess what he tells us here. The very things that proceed out of my mouth are going to be what fills my life with. If you don't like some of the things that's happened in your life, just begin to pay attention the words that are coming out of your mouth. Now, we can liken this into a marriage. What are you saying about your marriage? What are you talking about? Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I like to say it this way. Death and life are in the power of my tongue. The New International Version says, the tongue has the power of life and death. So an intelligent man will learn to begin to speak life. See, every word that are going out of my mouth, even in the marriage covenant, is either life or death. Now, this may be shocking to you, but the single most predictor of success or failure in a marriage isn't how much money you make isn't about how effective or affectionate you are. It's not about common interest. The single most reliable forecaster of success or failure in a marriage is the words you speak to each other. The words you say to other people about each other. Let me tell you right now, that even goes for things on Facebook. Don't write stupid things about your husband on Facebook. Or your wife? Listen, guys, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so I must begin to understand this. My words are very powerful. Jesus said he washes us, the church, by the word. I believe right here he's given us a little bit of insight into this. How many remember the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, I can truthfully stand here before you today and say, whoever said that, they lied. Because sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will break my heart. Words will program me, even in my marriage. Now, listen to what he goes on to say in verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Remember what we started about there in Genesis 1 and what God created was good. God tells me right here as a man, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. But look what he goes on to say. And he obtains favor from the Lord. You know what favor is? That's a blessing. So when I learn to honor what God says to honor, when I find a wife, guys, I found a good thing. But listen, just because you're married doesn't guarantee there's honor. That becomes a choice in my I can be married and not have any honor. Something begins to happen. Now, what does all this have to do with this? If you look at verses 20, 21, and 22 right there, basically, you know what he's telling me and you? Your marriage will never be any better than what you say about it. Some of you hit the brakes. 
What are you saying about your wife? What are you saying about your what are you saying about your marriage? This is very important right now for the time that we live in because I believe God wants to help us. He wants to touch our hearts. He wants to begin. But a lot of this comes back. Life and death are in the power of what? My tongue. Begin to pay close attention and ask the Lord to say, Father God, help me to speak blessings. Help me to speak good things out of my mouth concerning or pertaining to my marriage. Just listen to what you're saying. Oh, I thank God for my wife. I thank my God that my wife is a helper. I thank God that my wife compliments me. I th- and some of you say, Pastor, but that's so far from the truth. You begin to speak the things that you desire over your life and watch what begins to happen. Now, I want to give you three things today, husbands, that each one of us must do or learn to do to lay down our lives for our wives. And these are big that you get these. Number one is you got to learn to communicate. You know what communication is, guys? you got to have conversation. I haven't always liked that. Some of you are saying, but that wasn't part of my marriage vows. Maybe it should have been. Because whether we like it or not, this is one of the ways we must learn to communicate to our wives. This is how she feels connected. Now, in saying that, and this is going to be a huge revelation to you, fellas, one word that you've got to eliminate out of your vocabulary is the word fine. F-I-N-E. How was your day today? Fine. How was work? Fine. How was the ball game? Fine. How was the meal I worked hours for? Fine. See, I was an expert in that word, fine. But I wondered why my wife was always puzzled with me was because of this. She needs more than that. Listen, fellas, I know most of us in this room are what I call headliners. You can't always be a headliner. You've got to give them the fine print sometimes in life because that's what they need. Now, it was interesting in the first service, all the men who came to the altar at the end, I mean, it was amazing, the different ages. But after it was over, once began to share with me things in their life, and, and Matt Robinson, Christie's husband, he was here in the first service, and he said this to me. He said, Pastor, one of the fun and most uh, enlightening things that me and Christie do is, he said, I have a hot tub on my back porch. And he said, we love to go out on the hot tub. And he said, not in an intimate way like the world thinks, but an intimate way just to converse. That's how we unwind and we tell each other of our day. And I look at them, they have a wonderful marriage, but why? They've learned to communicate. They've learned to converse. You know what happens a lot of times in our society? You know what I call our society right now? The society of entertainment. Man, we are moving. We're busy. Think about this in your own life. How many of you do anything without that cell phone in your hand? Oh, now, Pastor, that's hitting below the belt. You think about this just for a second. If we're not talking on it, I mean, people are just moving all the time. Some of you may be doing that right now. Don't get nervous. It's all right. I know some of you take notes on there. I'm not going to come and take it away from you. But think about this. We're consumed with this. 
You pull up at a traffic light, look at the person next to you, and almost nine out of ten times, they're moving. See, I think this has hurt us. I remember as a child growing up, some of my fondest times with my grandmother was sitting on the porch where there was no TV. Some of you, this is shocking to you, but there used to be a thing called black and white TV. And you know what the remote control was? Me. Get up there and turn the channel. And we look, and, and sometimes now we think, how did we survive without a remote control? How did we survive without a cell phone? Oh, the internet, your life must have been boring. No, it was very refreshing. I know my grandmother intimately because all the time I spent with her on the porch. And so really, this is what I believe at times we must get back to. I'm not talking about, you know, without black and white TVs and that, but I'm talking about the conversation part. Here's something that'll help you. And I encourage every one of you that have children in your home, when you sit down for your evening meal, sit down together and don't pull out your TV trays. A rule in my house when we eat is there's no TV on, there's no radio, and some of you are freaking out right now. Let me tell you guys, we've got to change, we've got to do this. You know what happened? That caused our family to communicate. That caused our family to begin to open up and talk. And that caused me from being able to answer fine. What happened today? Good day? Fine. No, it causes us to converse. You know what? My kids are all gone. But me and Shelly still to this day, when we sit down and eat, it's just me and her. And you know what, guys? I don't have an A in this yet. I don't want you to think I've got all this figured out. I've got about a C in it. I'm moving up a little bit at a time. But I'm getting where I actually enjoy doing this now. To be able to communicate. That's the first one. Look with me back into Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Some of you right now are saying, but pastor, if I begin to communicate like that, you would find me laying dead on the floor and all my brains would be hanging out. No, they won't. I promise you guys, you can do this. You know, I, I have a good marriage right now, and there's several in the room that have outstanding marriages. I want you to know this. How you see me in my marriage right now, it hadn't always been that way. I used to be a horrible husband, guys. But I began to study the scriptures, and I began to get around guys that had great marriages. And I began to watch how they treat their wives. I began to see what they did. That's the same with us. Think about the word intimacy. It means closeness confidentiality, it means friends. How do you think that happens? It's not because your wife lays her hands on your pillow every night and prays that God would create some mass between your ears. No, it's because we learn to communicate and convert. Guys, you're going to have to do this. And some of you are saying, that's not a need of mine, so it's not relevant. Wrong again. Understand this. It's a way that she is filled love. It's going to be a new language. You know what it's called? Emotionese. You can learn that language. Get out there. Ephesians 5, verse 23. This is the second one. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church and is the Savior of the body. Now, I want you to note there, it said, the husband is the head of the wife. 
That means, guys, that, that I'm to lead my family. I'm not to dominate. It's not a dominance contest. I'm to lead my family. And what was the illustration? Just as Jesus did. Just how Jesus led the church here. Now, this is where I believe we need help, guys. Many times, our wife wants us to lead. And you know how she wants us to do that? To initiate things. Aren't you glad you came to church? What am I to initiate, Pastor? How many of you are the ones this morning that got up and said to your kids, to everybody else, we're going to church today. We're going to... See, this is a cry I have, men. Many of the women in the church will say this to me or they'll say this to Shelly. My cry is that my husband initiates the things of God in my home. The second thing is they initiate prayer. A lot of times, guys, you know what happens to us? We're intimidated by that thought. What happened with the fall of Adam is Adam was quiet when he should have spoken. But he didn't. And that still follows men to this day. You know, many of you know Bob and Jane Worth in our church. They're, they're both in their 70s. And uh, four months ago he was telling me that he was playing golf with, with another man in our church. And the man said to him, do you pray with your wife on a daily basis? And you know what he said? I don't. He said, she prays and I pray. And he said, but you know what? In that conversation, he said, I went home and I realized I've got to start initiating prayer in my home. And I said, was it intimidating? He said, at first, yes. But he said, now, it's the most refreshing thing I do. He said, for the last four months, we grab hands and we begin to pray. Now, listen, I believe that's the strongest form of agreement there is. You look at Matthew 18. It talks about the prayer of agreement, but when a husband and wife become one, they're joined together. And I'm telling you, even in my own life, it's one thing for me to pray by myself, but when I grab Shelly's hands and say, let's pray together, it's the power of two. Listen, husband, you can do it. You can do it. Some of you are, oh, God, my brains are coming out. You can do it. The third area. I wish my husband would initiate things with my kids. And maybe that's not you. And what do you mean? Well, I think about this, dads. We point our children to everything but God. It's easy for us to point them to football. It's easiest to point, point them to the car, the motorcycle, our hobbies. But do we ever point them toward God? Because the scriptures are very clear that our children are like arrows and they'll go where we point them to. It's important. Think about Joshua 24, 15. Joshua said this, As for me and my house, my wife says, we're going to church. That's not what it says. It says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so you know what Joshua was saying? I'm going to lead. I'm going to be the initiator of this. I'm going to be the one that takes responsibility of this and starts to encourage my kids, serve God. Serve God. Think about this for a second. How would your life look if Jesus led us like me and you lead the church or lead our homes? How would that look? You know how it would probably look? Jesus would be a great lazy boy leader. 
It'd be all cocked back in that lazy boy with the remote control barking out orders. But Jesus doesn't lead that way, guys. Jesus laid down his life. And that's the way we must begin to do. I'm going to tell you, begin to rise up and begin to become the initiator of your home. Whether it's the things of God, whether it's telling your kids, we're going to serve God. Here's your rule for your home. I don't care how old they are. If they're living under my roof, they're going to play by my rules. I don't care if they're 33. You want to live under my roof? And you know what that means? You're getting your little blessed assurers up and you're going to church today. Listen, guys, some of you got to quit giving your kids, uh, letting, letting them make the decision. Well, I don't want to go to church today. Duh! You're getting your little rear up and you're going to church. And they may be grabbing them by the collar and they may come in with a bad attitude, but I got a cure for that too. It's in the name of love. But once again, guys, I got to become the initiator of this stuff. Think about in your life as a teenager, would you have gone to church if you didn't have a father make you? Probably not. I applaud some of these teenagers that do come on their own. Now look in verse number 28. This is the last one. It says, so husbands ought to. You don't have to, but you should. Love your own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourished it. He feeds it. You know how he feeds it? To enhance her or to support her growth. And he cherishes. He, he pampers. He warmly cares for it just as the Lord does. As I read that, guys, Amplified says that he carefully protects. He carefully protects. This is the last area that I believe is very important, especially nowadays, that you become the security blanket of your home. That you're the stabilizer. What do you mean? Where your wife knows she's Queen Jellybean. She's Umro Nuno. That didn't come out right. Help him, Jesus. You interpret that. But the big thing is I want to point out today is there becomes a commitment in your home to your wife and to your children that they understand this. Daddy's coming home. Daddy's going to be there. I tell you guys, in my own life, I was blessed to have a mother and father that stayed together. I never one time came home from school wondering, is my dad going to be here today? And it did something to me, guys, for good. It put something in there. And you know what it put in me? Somebody's dependent on me. Somebody's dependent on you. And when I read statistically, six out of every ten children born in America this day are being born into to, to split homes. And I, I see all the hurt. Actually, guys, you know what I see in our children more and more is anger. And, and Pastor Jimmy, they had their youth night the other night, and I, and I have all these, these cardboard testimonies from teenagers in this church 
And it was amazing to me how many of them wrote on there. They had anger in their life. You know what I believe the anger is? There's voids within their heart because the family has been so fractured that, that, that they're walking around. And, and if you ask them what they're angry about, a lot of them can't tell you. There's pastors that I know, several of them. You know what they've said to me lately? We have children that are between 25 and 30, young males. And, and, and the, the young males between 25 and 30, guys, right now, they're not getting married. A lot of them don't want to get married. You know what their desire is? I want to sit around and play video games and eat pizza all day. And is it because being selfish, I want, I want, I want, is it because of lack of responsibility, the Peter Pan syndrome, I never want to grow up? No, you know what a lot of them say? Is if my life and my marriage and my family is going to be like the example my father gave me, I don't ever want to be married. It breaks my heart to think my generation is responsible for this because our lack of initiative. And so I'm not preaching shame. I'm saying, let's go back up. Let's become the men that God called us to be. Let's become the daddy. See, fathers in this room today, you have two responsibilities. Number one, you take responsibility for your own life. And number two, you begin to love and care and nurture the very ones that God has entrusted you to have. And that's your wife. And your kids. And you know that doesn't say. Until job do us part. And that doesn't say until children do us part. You know what that says? Until death do us part. And man that strikes in me. I begin to hurt. guys. I, I'm telling you I've wept in here this week. When I see all the pain and the hurt in our society. Two men. That, that, man, I honor huge in my own life. Just the last few weeks I've talked to him, and you know what one of them told me? He said, I've done such a disservice for my children. He said, I think I've done them more harm than good. And I said, tell me why you say that. He said, in my own home, he said, I wanted to be a blessing to my wife, so I have a, a house cleaner comes once a week to clean. And he said, it was a blessing to my wife. But he said, you know what I've created in my children? He said, they don't know how to run the vacuum. They don't know how to make their bed. They don't know how to do the dishes. And he said, the sad thing, they don't want to know. And I know in my generation, you know what? A lot of us didn't have things growing up. And so you know what we've said? I want my children to have it better than me. But yet I've heard them. Once again, when we hand life on a platter to our children, they never appreciate it. They may act like they do. And so I look at all the lack of honor in our society and I wonder, no wonder where we're at. And I've said this out of my mouth. Sometimes I think we've advanced, but I look at where we are. We've advanced technologically. iPhones and earphones and knee phones and all of our other phones. I mean, you look at all that. But we've gotten away from the very heart of God. And if I'm not too careful, or if I'm not careful, guys, 
Life becomes a blur. How many of you, if I ask you today, tell me about your life. You would either say, I'm tired or I'm busy. We're in motion all the time. And it's a thing of, just slow down. Let's enjoy the journey. When's the last time you had to have just had, had to have the TV on? When's the last time you couldn't live without a radio on? When, see, you think about our lives. And I'm not just speaking to you. I'm speaking to my own life. But I don't want this world. I don't want life how I knew it. To just keep getting watered down. But if someone doesn't rise up, look what's going to happen. It's amazing when you open your eyes to the things of God. I'm around I'm around 25,000 college students a week ago or so. And I sit there and begin to listen to them. And I watch their behaviors and their actions. And, and what I saw, they're angry. And if you ask them why, most of them can't answer it. But I begin to say, Lord, why are they angry? You know why? Because the void's in their life. Anytime we don't honor what God says to honor, there's a curse that comes upon us. And, and there's a curse upon that group because many of them are coming from such brokenness. There's a void there. I don't like it. And I realize right here this morning, I won't even speak to 1% of the population of Lubbock. But if we begin to poll the people of Lubbock, how many of them would honestly say, man, I'm, I'm hurting. Something's going on on the inside. Stand up with me today.